We live in this dream world because we do so many things every day that affect us in ways that somehow we're just not aware of. And you know, I was thinking, um, now last Christmas, Debbie and I were given uh, an electric blanket. And I can tell you that it is just such a marvelous advance over our old way of life, and it is just great. But uh, it is quite different from not having an electric blanket. And I sometimes sort of wonder, well, what is it doing to me? I mean, I sort of feel uh, I'm not sleeping quite in the same way. No, you wouldn't be. I mean, uh, and my dreams are sort of different, and, and I feel a little bit different when I get up in the morning. I wouldn't put an electric blanket on for anything. First, I'd be worried I might get electrocuted. No, I don't trust technology. But I mean, the main thing, Wally, is that I think that that kind of comfort just separates you from reality in a very direct way. You mean? I mean, if you don't have that electric blanket and your apartment is cold and you need to put on another blanket or go into the closet and pile up coats on top of the blanket you have, well, then you know it's cold. And that sets up a link of things. You have compassion for the per what is the person next to you cold? Are there other people in the world who are cold? What a cold night. I like the cold, my God, I never realized. I don't want a blanket, it's fun being cold. I can snuggle up against you even more because it's cold. All sorts of things occur to you. Turn on that electric blanket and it's like taking a tranquilizer. It's like being lobotomized by watching television. I think you enter the dream world again. Welcome to the Cinema 9 Podcast. I am named Michael. And Travis and Eric are here with me. And we're going to do a little movie today when we focus in on our main area of expertise this week. It's called My Dinner with Andre, a 1981 film selected by Travis. We'll dive into that in a little while. Of course, you can email the show, cinema9pod at gmail.com. Be a friend of the show. Five-star reviews, YouTube subscribers. We love all this stuff. Anything you can do. But either way, just enjoy the show however you choose to do so. Travis Roy, it is now the end of March, and we're moving into April. Are you nervous? Um, am I nervous for April? Was that the question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uncertain, <laughs> uncertainty abounds everywhere. You never know what's going to happen next. Um, as as they point out in uh, in my dinner with Andre, to, to, you know, the future is always uncertain, which, which makes it like death. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. There's a lot of good death talk. We'll get to that. Wacky I mean, death is like everywhere. Wacky. How could you not talk. have it be omnipresent at all time? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Let's talk about it constantly. It's important because to live fully is to also acknowledge and move into death. But uh, Eric Rasham, I hope death has avoided you. Uh, did you pack the car? You went down to Nashville, Tennessee. I got to say, uh, there was a shooting down there, too. That sucks. I mean, that, hopefully that had nothing to do with your life while you were there. Dark cloud over things, but we had a nice time. And Travis, you were right. <laughs> there wasn't much for us to do with a two-year-old kid. Yeah, uh, we went to like like Music City and we were like, uh, can't go into any of these places. Just go back to the uh, house and watch more Coco Melon. I'm back now and I'm feeling great. Uh, the Smoky Mountains. That's where you want to go next time. That's like the more kid friendly. The Smokies. That's where all the cabins and then what, that, head that down to uh, and all that shit. You know, house head on to Pigeon Forge or whatever the fuck it is yeah. down there with Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to think of the name of Pigeon Forge. It's in the Smokies, but that's the town specifically. Yeah. That's where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, if you have a family, because I, I went with a bunch of friends once and uh, we just like we did the opposite of what you did. It's like, oh, shit, there's nothing to do. It's all for families. So we just yeah. got drunk in a cabin for a weekend. OK. Yeah. Uh, Pigeon. Forge. You know, there's some value there. Yeah, we had That's fun. Cool. It's a great time, actually. Hey, great job. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I got to tell you. Tell me what? I like movies. I got to tell you that I like movies, so I'm oh. happy to be here for a movie tidbit minute. What's going on, Travis? Go something good this week. Come on. I want to hear some exciting movie news. Um, so we got an explanation from Matt Damon as to why he did that crypto commercial, because he apparently has it's been pointed out to him many times that it's you know hilarious and kind of silly, and it's only looking worse and worse as time has gone on. And the explanation is that uh, he took all the funds from that and gave it to like the water like i don't know what's called like water.org or something it's like a water. it's like a water i think it's just called water it's like his, it's his water. charity to try and get water to place you know clean water drinkable water to places that don't have it so he did it for charity so it's like oh shit now i feel bad about the jokes i made but not that bad but you know i like it when people have water hey. i'm drinking water right now and i don't own crypto so i feel like i'm winning I feel like I'm doing okay. Fortune favors the brave, as he said in that commercial. I will say, I do own crypto, and though people shit on it over the last year, and he was rightfully at the time kind of shit on, I will say now, the reason crypto was created in the first place is because of what you're seeing in the moment over the last month with the failing of the banking system and everybody freaking out about the bank runs happening with Silicon Valley Bank. That was the original intent, so it's looking better now, actually, although at the time... Well-deserved to be shit on. In fact, prices are way up over the last month, thanks to Silicon Valley Bank. Thanks a lot. That's why we did this in the first place. Uh, but Matt Damon, of all people, it did look <laughs> stupid, really stupid. There's scumbags in every corner of every sector of America. So it doesn't matter if it's Wall Street or crypto or the fucking uh, you know, dry cleaning. There's scumbags in all those arenas. And I understand that. But I'm glad he came clean and... At least it did something good, right? Someone asked him, so he answered, I guess. I don't think it was like a secret. He was Well, finally. Yeah. It was, but nobody ever heard shit about it. I haven't heard an answer on that. And I've been waiting. He seems like the kind of guy that would be open about that. So I'm <laughs> glad to get the closure on this so we can finally yes. move on. Many sleepless nights. <sighs> what was Matt thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Bransham, uh, you, you got any Matt Damon news? No. I, I am excited about the possibility of there being uh 
two Clayface movies in the Batman universe. Mike Flanagan pitched a Clayface uh, solo villain movie. And Matt Reeves is thinking about adding him to the Batman part two. I love Clayface, man. Roland Daggett is a fantastic character. Um, so, yeah, I'm down with either of these choices. Not very controversial, but interested to see how they turn a giant blob of clay into a movie villain. Well, I mean, Mike Flanagan, I think, is one of the best filmmakers out there. And I love what Matt Reeves has been, what he did with the Batman. But I feel like Matt, I mean, isn't Mike Flanagan already working on uh, a Dark Tower series? Isn't that like his whole main <laughs> yeah. focus, supposedly? Insurmountable yeah. <laughs> like, epic. I don't know how he's going to shovel this in, but he pitched it to, to Gunn and Saffron. Uh, Taco Bell. Okay. Oh, that was my I did my That's Batman it. for you, except I mixed in Taco Bell instead. He's oh, is that what that was? Taco He's Taco Bell. Dog Bell. He, yeah. Batman is Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know much about Clayface, but uh, I'm always down That's to good. learn That's about new villains. So he yeah. looks like a night. Uh, he looks like the night after Taco Bell. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, now that is a challenging night. Okay. Clayface. Cool. That reminds me of. Remember that game? Clay Fighter? Yeah, Clay, Clay Fighter. Yeah. Ichibod Crane, uh, Blue Suede Goo. <laughs> There's some sort of Frosty yeah. the Snowman fellow. Yeah, yeah. Frosty. Like, makes sense. Uh, okay. That is fun. <laughs> Checks out. That's yeah, it was a fun, fun game. I liked that game. Uh, for you me, I got two th- got two things. One is that oh. I saw the I saw the poster for Wes Anderson's new movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asteroid City. Um, <laughs> yeah. Asteroid City, huge yeah. cast, like everybody ever. I mean, yeah, it's enormous. Even by his standards, was, it's big. Yeah, right. Like I was thinking, you know, who are the directors that can get a cast like that? Him, mm-hmm. uh, Scorsese, probably Tarantino. All, all, all Thomas Anderson could. He did. Yeah. Nolan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been done. Yeah, but I, I'm excited for that. I, I really kept watching the French Dispatch. And I like it more and more every time I watch it. So I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but I'm always excited for the next Wenderson movie. Is it an animated movie or not? Because I can't tell by the poster. No, it's it's a live action as far as I know. Okay. At this point, it's starting to seem like like AI is generating these Wes Anderson <laughs> movies. Like AI watched Life Aquatic and Wes Anderson died ah! in 2005. <laughs> Ouch. Who are we that kidding? Hurts. We're all going to watch it probably in theaters. Maybe not, mm-hmm. but we're all going to watch it. That's for sure. Of course, I'm definitely going to watch it. I watched French yeah. Dispatch at home, but I'll I'll definitely watch it many times. And then the other news, uh, every time I watch it, I enjoy it more. Especially how, many times, the, how many times have you no! seen it? You've seen it? Every time. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it five times. You've seen really? it five times, and you have to fast forward through the movies that we're going to watch uh, like two hours before. <laughs> it depends what movie it is. <laughs> I didn't fast forward through this one at all, so. It's not an easy one it to just, fast forward through. It's very dialogue heavy, as you may have noticed. Um, yeah, I bet you can fast forward and get the gist, though. We'll see about that, anyways. I'll hold, hold, hold back on your commentary. Later. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So you had another but, uh, tidbit for us. I did. The other tidbit was that Apple is investing in putting their movies in theaters first, so that they can have more people end up with Apple TV later. It's very weird. They're invested like a billion dollars. They bought a lot of big scripts and big movies like Scorsese's uh, well, The Flowers of the Bozo Flower, Moon. Moon, Children, mm-hmm. Flower. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so they're going to put those in. The, they're trying to go to the theater. So they're actually investing in movie theaters to bring people to their streaming audience, which is kind of a reversal of what we had over the last several years. So I'll see with 
bated breath how that works out. I think that's interesting. It's unique to see that. It gives me hope that theaters will carry forth. I think it is. It's well, a, I mean, you bit. know, Amazon Prime has air in theaters, and Netflix has released multiple movies in theaters. True. That is true. But they've all, haven't they done it simultaneously, some of those two? Or no, not? it's usually like a week in advance. Like the, like Glass Onion, say, or um, the that one with the, was it the Red? Whatever, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, the Gray Man. Uh, that stuff, like, oh, yeah. they release it like for like a week or two in theaters, and then and then before they streamed it. So, it, and that's what uh, Amazon Prime's doing with Air. Um, so it's, I don't know if it's that unique, but they're getting in on the biz. They're getting in on it. Hmm. Maybe I'm not describing this right. I'll have to go back and look at the news because it did seem interesting. Like, oh, they're doing this, but you're right. I guess that's kind of old news. Apple TV just wants to get more subscribers, and that's fine. Apple TV has that right because hey, they want a fucking Oscar. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't blame. Or they, and of course, that had to be go through theaters too. Coda went through theaters. I mean, no one saw it. But that was kind of how this whole thing started out with the streamers. Like they 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 couldn't be like Academy Award qualifying unless it played in at least a, a theater or two. Mm-hmm. So they started doing that about a month before they would just dump it on the streaming venues right. where everybody watched it anyway. You just play in New York and L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Coda was a record price for that script they bought at Sundance. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, okay. that was, yeah. They distributed that one pretty much was all they really did. Yeah. But hey, Apple seen it otherwise. So Apple plans to their although their plans are finalized, the company wants to put films in thousands of theaters for at least one month. Okay. So yeah, I guess that is the same old story. Whatever. All right, who cares? Trash news. Let's move on to what uh people been watching here on Cinema Nine Podcast. What's going on over in your viewing world, Travis? I hear that you're uh on a break, but you're working, but is there movies to be seen? Um, yeah, I've watched some stuff, not not that much. I, I checked out uh, Knock at the Cabin, the new, mm, uh, the, mm. you know, the the newest offering from M Night Shyamalan. You caught this yet, Eric? No. What what's the verdict here? Uh, my verdict is uh, this is uh, you know like I, I think I'm gonna echo what a lot of people have already said that this is a good um, an acting a good performance from dave batista it certainly kind of stands out he says um but as far as a movie goes it's a wasted opportunity it's it's, oh god damn it based on a book and i bet that book is really good and says some really interesting (sighs) things because the movie sets itself up to say some really interesting things about the state of information today and and how we access information and all this really cool stuff and then it just takes this fucking hollywood way out i'm just like okay well that could have been cool um, revisited murder mystery because I'm excited for murder mystery two. People say, "Who's asking for murder mystery two? Travis Roy is asking for murder mystery two. I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. It. I believe it's coming out. Yay! And uh, I finally caught Scream. I got it's not is it Scream five? Is it Scream? I don't know. Scream. Scream. <laughs> um, from last year, 2022. You know, uh, I wasn't really surprised by anything that happened in it, but I was pleased as far as a quote unquote requel goes. I thought it. I thought it did what it set out to do. It wasn't great, but it literally was both a sequel and a reboot. Um, and now I'm prepared to watch the New York one whenever it finally starts streaming somewhere. So I'm all cut up with my Scream viewing. That's about it. That'll do. That'll do. do. Yep. That'll, hey, I love a good devil. Eric Brancher. <laughs> yeah, I watched... Uh... Lyle Lyle Crocodile, the Javier Bardem uh, <laughs> family film on Netflix. Remember we, when that, we heard that was coming out, we like send pictures to each other back and forth, making fun of it. How was it? Yeah, we thought it was a joke. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was like a funnier die skit. Uh, it's a family film <laughs> yeah, I don't know. and it's good. <laughs> I liked it. 
Of course he did. <laughs> Had a lot of heart. And uh, Javier Bardem made me tear up. It was a sweet story. And uh, I dug the film. I got no complaints. I got to be honest with you. I watched, um, the hell else did I watch? Oh, yeah. I watched uh, 21 Jump Street, that remake with uh, yeah. Channing Tatum Hilarious. or whatever. Um, Hilarious. Well, laughing out loud. It's funny. Been in the news a lot lately. Has it? Um, yeah. Yes, yes, it has, because Kanye yeah. West has decided that he doesn't hate Jewish people after all because he watched that movie recently, and Jonah Hill is no in shit. it. And Jonah Hill is Jewish, so now he doesn't hate Jewish people anymore because he bases his oh. entire experience or his entire feeling about a group of people based on how he feels about one of them, apparently. It's a true news story, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah, this is this is the news in America. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Sorry, continue. What if Kanye's gonna watch like a, a bad Jonah Hill movie like like War Dogs and change his mind again and say, Yeah, I hate Jews. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no. that last one that came out with Eddie Murphy, yeah, he's not gonna like that. Yeah, yeah, he'll hey, probably yeah, and there you go. Exactly. COVID nineteen protocols was uh, supposedly the reason they didn't kiss in that movie. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The movie still sucks. Take <laughs> yeah. the kiss oh, out. Yeah. It's fine. Oh, it, it, yeah. it was awful. Oof. Sorry, Eric. We're just stopping all over your segment here. Continue. My bad. I checked back in with uh, Never Been Kissed. Uh, good old uh, Josie Grosie. It's funny. Home fries? <laughs> yeah, not home fries like the other ones. on the side? Uh, yeah. <laughs> just keep fever pitch. Boys in cars? Is that her too? Now we're just oh, yeah. naming bad. Riding in cars with boys. Vehicles. Yeah. So. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, other than that, I've been watching a lot of... Um, What's this fucking show called? Like this genealogy show? Like, oh, who do you th- yeah, who do you think you are? Oh. Yeah, who do you think you are? Like, uh, the celebrities go on there and learn about their ancestors. Yeah, Louis Gates. <laughs> I guess he's the historian. Like, the, I don't know the guy that the host. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. We got good episodes and then like bad episodes. You'll have like something like really powerful, like Christine Applegate learning that like her. Uh, a strange family was uh, like they were like domestic abuse situation scandal tore the family apart and then you'll have like you it, it's, it's strange because you have like this they like try to ramp up every episode with like this thrilling score mm-hmm. like it's a fucking like john grisham movie and then you'll have nothing going on it's like it's, seriously at one point like the announcer was like coming up next marissa hargitay <laughs> finds out that her grandfather participated in the 1940 census. And like, we're supposed to be a suspense to watch the commercial break? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds thrilling. I'll leave it All with right. that. Oh, boy. I, I can't... What did I watch? I, I watched The uh, Land of Steady Habits yeah. with Ben Mendelsohn. For the first time? You're a yeah. Ben Mendelsohn fan. How, how'd you, I do how'd you like it? Ben. It was... Uh, that was a bit understated when it comes to Mendelssohn, but um, it's supposedly based on a book again that may have been better. The book was uh, leading to the film that I thought was ho hum. It was a yeah. ho hum bo- movie. It had the potential to be. It's one of those like life lesson movies. You're like, oh, but maybe you don't really learn life lessons. The movie's actually kind of radical a bit. Maybe I-, I liked it all right, but like I guess I suppose I thought there would be more to it. Yeah, a bit of a slice of life. It's one of those movies like I caught it and didn't think that much of it as I watched it, but more of like I think about it every now and then. You know what I mean? Which I don't do that with a lot of movies. I just forget them. Thinking. Hmm. Yeah. Thinking. Uh, no. I, I sure I watched something else, but I I didn't happen to write it down. I I remember. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I watched uh, on the plane. This is probably one of the best 
So I, I went to New York City two weekends ago, and then I flew mm-hmm. the following four days later to Las Vegas. Back-to-back weekends of flying for me, unheard of. And Wild. <laughs> why, I have very wild. Yeah. Yeah. I flew Delta both times, so I've got the continuity of Delta's movies. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so... They make you put your laptop away when you take off and when you land. So you got about 25 minutes on the bookends of each flight where you, well, I guess I'm stuck with whatever Delta has because I can't use my laptop. So I watched Interstellar from the New York flight. Didn't get to finish it. Remember where I left off, picked it up on the takeoff to Vegas. Had to stop <laughs> once I could open my laptop and play video games. Left Interstellar there. And then on the uh, <laughs> on the flight back, I finished it. Finally. And uh, yep. man, it's a fucking great movie. It's a really great movie. I love it. I, it's so, uh, so fascinating how accurate they tried to be with the reality of mm-hmm. the possibilities that Interstellar offers in terms of space travel and quantum physics and all this stuff. And it doesn't matter who's acting or who's in it. It's just, it's just a really interesting story. And of course, everybody does their due diligence. You know, Matt Damon's in that one. And, and oh, yeah. uh, Kind of shows up. It's like, oh, not even really. Cre- I'm not sure he was credited because I don't remember him being in in the opening or like when the previews came out for Interstellar. He just kind of was a surprise. No, yeah, he so. he wasn't credited because he didn't want to confuse people to make them think they were going to see The Martian because it was like the same year as The Martian, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, The Martian was the next year. That's right. Yeah, it was back to back space movies yeah. with him. But uh, Interstellar is outstanding, and it's I think it's rising in the ranks of my favorite Nolan movies. Might be in the top three right now. Wow. All right. Whoa. Yeah, I, and I, I didn't bother really to catch it in the theaters. I kind of skipped oh. it. I was kind of like, it was I don't a know. great was like, theater experience, man. It really was. Yeah, I blew it. I totally blew it. I don't know what happened. I, you know, you, you know, I saw Inception theater many times, and of course, The Dark Nights and Dark Knight Rises. Maybe I was mm-hmm. nolaned out for a minute. I don't you know. know. We're but, busy. Like mm. life gets busy. Yeah, I was probably getting high. That's the truth of it. But either way, you know, I, I love. <laughs> All right, guys, that is what we've been watching. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, by the way, shout out to the guy who couldn't make it last week, Jason Willico. You guys watched that movie, Legend. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I I did cut a scene to put into the podcast version from YouTube, and it was I laughed when I watched the scene. It was just a clip of the <laughs> big devil fucking guy and this woman, this like tiny girl. He's like, yeah. he's like sit down. Sit! It made me laugh my ass off. I don't know why. <laughs> It was really funny. He sounds like someone who just took nitrous when he talks. That's why. <laughs> oh my god! I got. I never saw this movie growing up or anything. So I really do want to watch it when I get a chance. <laughs> Woo! Boy, that's funny. But uh, Jason, hope uh, your life is well, and hey, we, uh, we you, missed buddy. you last week. Hey! Shout out. I know he's a big fan of the show. He listens every week. So. Oh yeah, he's not listening now. <laughs> yeah, he's right here. He never listened before. He's not starting now. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's dive into the main focus this week. It's time for Travis's selection, a 1981 film called My Dinner with Andre. And it's really just two characters. It's very simple. Wallace, Sean, and and Andre. Yeah, my and Andre. Wallace, Sean sets it up with some voiceover and then sits down to dinner with Andre Gregory. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, Boy, do you remember the first time you saw this movie, Travis? Because I feel like you probably would. So I i don't remember exactly when I first saw it, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that um, at the end of Waiting for Guffman, there's like these um, 
uh, my dinner with Andre action figures, and I I, I remember like getting the joke. But I, I think that I had not seen the movie at that point, but I think I watched it like in part because of that movie. And uh, so it was one that I had like, you know, I'd made a VHS copy of like in the late 90s where, you know, I'd like written the name and like huge letters and um, and white out across the VHS. And then so I, I saw it at some point in the late 90s, but then uh, later I got a, I don't know, I never bought a copy, but I think I must have like burned a DVD from somebody because after I lived with you at a place we called The Dump, appropriately in Ypsilanti. I moved in with my father and I went through this uh, like spell where, I don't know, for six months, I would put this movie on repeat on my DVD player every night before I went to bed and I would just fall asleep to this and like wake up every every now and then kind of be like, oh, Gregory, and like go back to sleep for like months and months and months. And now I've, and I've not watched it since that terror. So I was, it's been like 20 years, 19 years, but there was a good stretch of my life where I watched this a lot. <laughs> That's funny. I was actually walking through the Wynn Casino last weekend with Leanne, and I was actually explaining who Rolo was. And, and my dog, yeah. Yeah, and I was talking about the dump and, you know, big shits and, uh, like, and stupid parties. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a big dog, so yeah, it makes sense. But it's just funny. I was walking through, like, the one of the classier casinos in Vegas trying to explain that. I don't know really why it came up, but mm. it did. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you saw this movie as an adult. In the summer of 2002, I remember I went to the Cromain Library in Heartland, Michigan every day because they had the entire Criterion collection there uh, for Mm -hmm. free. And I uh, checked this out and uh, watched it at home and loved it. Now, 2002, this was right up my alley. This is when I was fucking walking around with like a copy of like the Fountainhead in my back pocket. Like I like I enjoyed it. I didn't fucking enjoy it. I hated that goddamn book. I would tell everyone I loved it. (laughs) I would watch every Criterion movie and be like, oh, this is true art. I was the biggest douche you can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, and and the simple fact of the matter was, out of all those movies that I pretended to like, uh, I really did love this one. But I haven't seen it since that summer. Hmm. All right. Okay. Yeah, how about that? That's fun. That's a, you, Mike? a very honest assessment from him, by the way, too. Uh, an honest man. Yes, he is. We love you, Eric. With a fine uh, head of hair. Great head of hair. Always gonna, he's always gonna have that hair. Yeah. Wallace Shawn would be jealous. Um, yes, yeah. Well, by the way, Wallace Shawn like is what I would look like if I grew my hair out. That's that's where I'd be. So I would love to see that. I just love to see that once. I really if the apocalypse would. ever comes, I'm prepared. I'm just like I'm just gonna let it all go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. you and Chris Deary. Come. You yep. and Chris Deary are doing. I, I want to see that. Going full Wally. Uh, Wally Shawn. Sorry. Continue. Huh? By the way, was Wallace Shawn, he says he's 36 in the movie. I don't know if he actually was 36 or not. I checked. He was probably 37, 38, but probably 36 when he wrote the script. Because I was going to say, I'm like, oh, it's young Wallace Shawn, but like, it's not that young. It's not like he's 21. And if he was looked like that when he's 21, maybe he probably did. I don't know, but just wondered. Probably. I remember, by the way, 20th anniversary of the dump, 2003, 02 to 03, everybody, in case you wonder. Most people won't care, but for us, 20 years. Happy anniversary. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. Go to Dom. Get, get, on, get, get on down to the dub. All right. So I remember seeing this movie after I hung out with Luke in New York, I believed. And of course, Luke kind of had somehow brought this into my universe. This is 07, 08, late aughts. And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that one. I'll watch that. So I remember coming back to Ann Arbor and watching the film and saying, oh, man, that was a slog. 
didn't uh, didn't resonate with me. I recall that. I mean, I watched the whole thing, and I mm-hmm. could understand why it would be interesting to some people. But for me, I just remember not having that strong of an impact from it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did view it. I did take it in. Uh, what is the score here, folks? This one has to probably be, you know, it's pretty well known in indie circles and really led to a probably a lot of different types of movies. Um, like, yeah, you know. I mean, the reason I, I the reason I chose it because is because it came up when we did um the end of the tour recently, yep. and we'd also been talking about women talking. Um, so the you know I, I don't know that this is the first movie to ever just have two people talking. But it seems kind of like it is in a way, it, 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 and to be just so overt about it, like, hey, here's two people at a table talking. Um, it's pretty yeah. much also like the first that I can recall anyways. Maybe someone else has a better example of the partial parody of themselves as real people like. Uh, yeah, yeah, know, that's a good point. Gary Shan- Larry Sanders show and Curb Your Enthusiasm after, later on. So. Yeah, these weird versions of themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. 7.5, I guess. That's my guess. Yeah, I'm going to say 7.3 7, because I think it's well regarded, but I think a lot of people watch it and go, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I snuck a peek and I was uh, uh, delighted to see the 7.7 rating. Oh, oh. How, how many, uh, do you remember offhand how many? Uh, no, no. Uh, I imagine this is probably highly rated. I mean, it's not, it's got to be in the tens of thousands. A little lighter, 23,000. That qualifies two tens of thousands. I kind of think like, you know, a hundred thousand is like, all right, it's been somewhat watched. I think 20,000 is a little light, but you know, that's just my opinion. What do I know? It's a little light for a movie that came out over 40 years ago. 40 years later, my dinner with Andre Rideau. Are these guys both alive? Because I think only one of them is, but I don't know for sure. They're they're both alive. Oh, yeah. Louis Louis Maul's passed, of course, but uh, they're they're actors are alive. Oh man! All right. Well, they've done some periodic like get-togethers too. I mean, like you know, I went on YouTube and there's been a bunch of little things they've done together, just like you know, meetings and revivals. And <laughs> stuff. What are we oh, laughing? At? You're not laughing I'm at what tra- I'm saying. I, I know. I'm, I th- that's good. I'm glad that no, they've been fine. doing things on YouTube. But on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, as I typed in the movie, the first movie that comes up is My Dinner with Trump. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's a whole like series of movies called my dinner with somebody too because like there's mm-hmm. that one that um yeah. uh that peter dinklage did uh, yeah, yeah my dinner with or whatever and, uh, <laughs> it like there's a, like it, like spawned a whole category of movie titles even oh wow yeah. yeah i guess that makes sense you're right uh 92 from the critics 85 from the audience that's a solid you know no complaints there right that's yeah. that's worth living for and as far as uh, I wonder if Destin Thompson reviewed this one like any time, I'm sure he did at some point. Uh, but he's seen it. He's oh, he's definitely seen it. Yeah, seen it. his second grade yearbook. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, fascinating. Yeah, you know, a little bit of a bore, but I'm certainly all right. Let's see. Oh my God, we are yeah, really word. light. Oh, really? We are, yeah. Super. There's only a page and a half of reviews, so we'll... Well, it's 81, so everything would have been, like, transferred over after the fact, you know? That's fair. Or Roger Ebert uh, gives it a four... He lo- I know that Roger Ebert it. said it was the mm-hmm. only movie without cliches or something like that, so... Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood cliches. He gave it a four out of four stars. Uh, Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews back in the 2000s said, A couple of New York intellectuals get together for dinner have a confessional chat about their life. Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory play themselves. 
play versions of themselves. <laughs> that's it. What are you saying about the film, though? What the fuck? That's a, yeah. That's that's not a review. That's a that's a summary. Oh god, you're right. Uh, let's try Peter Canavis of Groucho Reviews. That's a fun name. It is. The scripted literal conversation piece was also acutely self-aware and just as much thought-provoking, offering a progressive cinematic paradigm. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's kind of what we were getting at. Only like the paradigm. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a better word than what we used, saying that people copied it and whatnot, but still. Oh, <laughs> uh, this guy could become a new show favorite. I, I don't know. I'm looking at his picture. If you Google this guy, Ken Hankey, H-A-N-K-E, yeah. Ken from Hankey. the Mountain Express Express in Asheville, North Carolina. Ken Hankey said, like watching paint dry, only less entertaining. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I usually like his reviews. Yeah, he's a he's like a he's got like a big head of fluffy gray oh. hair. He looks like Lady oh. Elaine from Mr. Rogers, but with like a big gray wig. Looked. It looks like he's passed. Yeah, his picture oh, looks shit. old as fuck. That's what I'm saying. It looks like a picture from the 80s. In fact, he probably saw My Dinner with Audrey when it came out in the theaters. Yeah, he probably did. He passed the couch. Can we make fun of dead people? I, I actually, I think it's better because they're dead. Um, I do, am, am I making the ruling on this? <laughs> <laughs> no one has to make a ruling. It's fine. Uh, how about Sean Axmeyer of Turner Classic Movies Online? An intellectual bowl session as cinematic performance piece. <laughs> bowl session. Okay. All right. So everyone's got summaries here. Great. Yeah, I mean, nobody like, oh, we, Rob Gonsalves from Rob's Movie Vault says, like some Gonsalves? of our best, <laughs> oh, Gonsalves, yes, or Gonsalves, it depends how you feel. Gonsalves. Like, Gonsalves, <laughs> I've got I'm it. Gonsalves. <laughs> <laughs> like some of our best late night chats with good friends, the dialogue seems to encompass everything while resolving nothing. That's great. That's good. That's, that's a good review. You get no... There's no resolution here. It's just yeah. a conversation, uh, and you could take sides, and you might agree or disagree with certain parts, but the movie ends with, well, that's life. Yep. Going to take a taxi home now because I didn't have to pay for dinner. Yeah, that's a nice bonus. That, and, yeah. you know, that is. For people living in New York, I hear that is a big deal. He's living like an, an aristocrat now, again. <laughs> that's right. A 10-year-old aristocrat when he had it all. Yeah. So Well, that's the movie. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Where's the Area, uh, All right, yeah, so where, where to dive in here, right? Um, how about the direction? I think before we get into um, the conversation, to me, one of the things that, that really stands out about this is, and this is now one of two Louis Maul movies that I've seen after watching uh, uh, Au Revoir Les Enfants last week. So it's not like I'm an expert on Louis Maul by any means. Uh, but I've always thought that this was really well directed, mostly because of the fucking mirrors. You could set this up however you want. This was an abandoned restaurant that they remodeled in Virginia to look like a New York restaurant. And they spent like weeks down there. They could set this thing up to look however they want. They gave themselves the absolute challenge of having not one, but two really big mirrors on two different angles, like pretty much the two angles that they're shooting from. So the, through the whole movie, you're seeing all of like you're seeing the whole room and you're seeing both of these men talk. And I'm like, is the camera a vampire? How did he fucking do this? I mean, I'm, as I'm watching the movie, that's like one of the things I'm focused on. But I do think that, um, you know, 
I was watching an interview uh, of Louis Mall talking about this movie. And he, he said this was the most that any actors ever uh, recited, you know, rehearsed before filming. And uh, I think it like shows because this movie feels effortless. All right, well, good podcast, guys. We're gonna make that joke again now that we have. I was, I want, I want to let Eric say something. and said something in a minute, so. Yeah, the shot when, uh, like, I, Maul waits to give us the shot where you can see Andre in the reflection, like right next to Wallace Shawn. He waits till actually the conversation does get a little bit. It's never heated. But you you get some pushback from Wallace finally after like an hour and ten minutes of this fucking nonsense from Andre Gregory, <laughs> and yeah, you get the shot of like just this like um, kind of antagonistic looking Andre like just right mm-hmm. on the shoulder of Wallace Shawn that really uh, speaks volumes visually. I thought it was it's a funny nice that touch. you saw it as uh, Shawn getting like uh, pushing back because to me I'm like well he's finally engaging because like. Through so, I think again. I think you're right. Like we don't see so much of the reflections. We don't see so much of them in the mirrors, and, and you see more and more as the movie goes on. Because like the first half of the movie, Wallace Shawn barely says anything, and it's like super fucking awkward when he does. He's like, "Hey, do you see that one play? You said the word violet, and uh, the word violet was in the uh, title of this play." Like, no, I never saw that. Anyway, it's one of the things that it's one of the things I like about this script. Uh, we we get this character, this kind of meek man. Set in his own ways, resolute, who goes into this dinner knowing that he's probably not going to say a lot. In fact, he says, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. This is what I do yeah. as an introvert because I hate social situations. I just ask questions and I can get through the night and finally breathe a sigh of relief when I'm done. Uh, yeah, this is what he does. But he waits and he respectfully mm-hmm. listens, which was refreshing to see in a film. There's no fucking bickering going on here the entire time. We don't need any of that mammoth bickering no. bullshit. Uh, it waits until he has something to say that gives us conviction for him. Uh, it's easy to say, well, nothing solved at the end of the day. Sure as hell is. We've got a man who decides to kind of, yeah, maybe I didn't use the most appropriate choice of words with push back, but uh, stand up for his uh, opinions, which I, I don't see him doing earlier on in the conversation. Yeah, yeah that's true. A uh, couple things here. First off, Electric Blanket really dates this movie, I feel like. Uh, takes me back to a long time ago when I think we had one in like 1987. I never used one after that. But the other thing I think really defines this show is uh, how <laughs> he comes into the dinner saying, I got my own problems. I don't want to deal with this guy. I mean, the last thing I want to do is to have dinner with this guy and his issues. And I just thought that was hilarious. That's a bit of an inside yeah. joke here. And then he ends up having like, a nice conversation with his friend. Right. He does. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and they reconnect. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, and and I, also- I, I, yeah. No, I just didn't. I did not see any. I never thought about the shots like you just laid it out really quite well. I just never thought about it at all. It never even crossed my mind because I was too engrossed, I guess, in the conversation. Well, I mean, so that let's let's get into the conversation a bit more, because to me, like the this movie is gripping. This movie's fucking gripping to me because I am in, engaged in this conversation. There are times where I'm like, what are they on about? There are times where I don't agree. There are times where I'm like, again, you're bringing up the Nazis, but Still, I mean, there's just there's so much to I mean, it. That's why I think I loved it so much in my early twenties is because there's so much you can pick at. I mean, they get into as that one review said they get into 
almost every facet of life. But one of the main things that they seem to be dealing with is like the that overlap between art and life, right? How the how the artist sometimes can't like they refer to the Bergman movie, you know, the the artist can can live in his art but not in his life. Um, but and the, but they're also constantly talking about the roles that they play, like literally performing at parties and like performing as a son, as a father, as a husband and all this stuff. And it's um, just like, it makes so much sense that this would be such a well-written script because it, it comes off like it's all spontaneous in this like automatic conversation. But in fact, it's all heavily scripted. And because this is like one of the ultimate life imitating art, imitating life kind of movies. Yeah, they worked their ass off. These were conversations they had had over the years together that they tried to fine tune and hone in and script very, very, very specifically. So you're right. They It shows you how much work going into rehearsing can give you the uh, uh, image of something completely different, if you will. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say one thing overall about the conversation. When it dives in to Andre Gregory's experiences, man... I was much more interested in what Sean, uh, Wallace Shawn was going off about in his narrative in the voiceover before they sat down. Like the things he was saying, I was much more interested in like continuing on that journey about the things in his life than I was once Andre Gregory goes off about all these wild ass experiences he's been having. Cause I, <laughs> I lost, I was surprised cause I was totally down to like dive into this conversation. I'm like, all right, man, life is fucked up and I get so confusing and chaotic. And I know that it is cause I'm living it myself. So I'm really ready to hear what these guys have to say. Cause I know this is going to be a deep philosophical debate or discussion as I recall it. The one time I watched it 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but I was, I was like this a bit when he kept talking about these you know, the Buddhist monk in his house and going off to Scotland to Poland in the forest. And, you know, until until the camera got real tight on him, he talked about how he was buried alive. And that was like, holy shit. OK, now I'm back. But he lost me there for a bit. I, I got to be honest about it. Yeah. Well, I think we're supposed to get lost by him. I think we're supposed to be a little bit. I mean, like he refers to it, but once he goes, like, am I the, am I a spoiled princess? Am I the Shah of Iran? Am I Albert Speer? Like, yeah. he, like he knows that he's been this self-indulgent, like rich man that can afford to have like this fucking breakdown and hallucinate blue minotaurs and shit. And um, I was back it, in on the conversation when he started saying that again. But when he yeah, explained actually, all these adventures, that's where I was most like, oh, I'm not really into this as much as I thought I should would be. Yeah, I really like his delving into his own mental health issues. But I th- no, I literally think we're supposed to be kind of rolling our eyes at some of the – I mean, I think at first we're supposed to be a little bit amazed. And then, like, I think we're supposed to kind of start to be like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, what is what is this? Like, And so by the time that he's talking about this, like, simulated death camp thing, you're like – you are – right. like, as you say, you're like, this is like – this is disturbing as fuck. Why would like you could take this blindfold off at any time and walk away from this and you choose not to. And you start to realize like, this is a guy who is like so desperate to find meaning in his life that he will just create it out of whole cloth rather than just be at home with his wife and kids. And then he finally (laughs) comes to after that. And he's like, I don't want to do these things anymore. And he calls his and he calls his agent. He's like, uh, "Can you have any work for me?" He's like, he just had to fucking run around like an idiot for four years or whatever. And what's interesting about seeing this again after so long? Like, I I remembered 
every single second of this conversation being engaging and memorable. Then I'm watching it this morning. That's why I had to send that text out because once Andre starts going on and on and on, a part of me was like, oh, fuck, do I even like this movie anymore? Because this is fucking nonsense shit I had to listen to in so many goddamn like circles over a hookah <laughs> for years in years and sit there and pretend like I was infatuated and enamored by this type of quest brought on by mm -hmm. either drugs or insecurity. So I spent a good chunk of this movie this morning like fucking bored until I kind of realized what you said. I'm supposed to feel kind of this mm -hmm. way about Andre or maybe not. It's, it's up yeah. to the viewer. Uh, somebody else could watch this and think that Andre is the coolest fucking motherfucker that's ever lived. But yeah, for me, it takes until Wallace Shawn saying, oh, what are yeah. you talking about? For me to be like, oh, thank God somebody said <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about, Andre. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. funny. Classic uh, Wallace Shawn. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that as a kid, you know, like I thought Andre was like this mystic, you know, I thought he was so incredible and worldly and wise and cool. And this time, like watching it, I'm like, I'm like, I wasn't listening to him. I wasn't really because he starts it. He starts <laughs> the thing off with a big smile on his face. Goes, I'm doing terrible. And he talks about it. he's like, my life is a sham. Uh, I've wasted my life. I mean, he like he is a. He talks about how fucking oh, yeah. miserable he is, and he's upset. He's like, I spent a whole year obsessed with death. Yeah. Like he is a completely miserable, sad dude, and like he, he doesn't yeah. have these answers. And like so, in his quest, and like you, like if you're if you're easily bamboozled, or maybe like a kid, and like uh, you know, like I was, and and are like distracted by the the verbiage, like you might not notice that this is an incredibly dissatisfied person who went on a quest to find himself and only <laughs> learned like shit. I I could have done this at home which is what i think the whole everest versus the cigar shop things about even though he doesn't quite agree with sean yeah he brought it all back though andre did this andre told the story about how he went to the theater one day and he talked to the eight people who said he looked great and had his tan and then the one person who said that he looked miserable and she was going through some serious pain and re relatable to a death in her family as well that she could immediately see that trauma and that pain and bring it out of him immediately. And I really appreciated that when he brought it back around later on, like saying there's more, there's something going on here where we're all, so as he calls it, the dream world is to actually just be totally vegged out by yes. television and all mm -hmm. of the routine habits mm -hmm. of life. Right. Like he talked about with his friend, the, was it, I forget all his friends. His, uh, he knows so many. Yeah, he knows so many friends. Or, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah, there's all these. Whichever friend it was that intentionally used his left hand every day to make sure he didn't stay in the right-handed routine of using a spoon or opening a door. You know, so all he brings that he brought that back later on, and that's when I was engaged with Andre's discussion about seeing more of people and what's really going on with them, as opposed to the zombies who walk through every day just doing the uh, roles and the habits and routines or hello, you look great. Hey, have a great day. Yeah. And that, that, that part is where he got me. But I agree with Eric saying a lot of that stuff early on explaining his adventures was just like a bore to me. And I, it, whether it was supposed to be a, yeah, whether <laughs> it was supposed to be or not, I do recall it also being more engaging and it wasn't for me now. Yeah. And, and what it does do is it sets up 
quite brilliantly the character of Andre. Uh, you, You said he's borderline a mystic figure to somebody in their youth. And I'm so glad that all of us in our early 40s kind of see him just as this depressed person, the type that we may even know in our real lives that tend to blame society or tend to blame science or tend to blame habitual lifestyles on their own insecurities. It's a very identifiable figure, uh, but also one that gives Wallace uh, a lot of agency in that second half of the film, which I think is where the spark is. Yeah, when he gets engaged and he's like, yeah, that people don't see me all the way either. That's when they really start like to but it is it is funny how you have an hour's worth of these insanely bombastic egregious tall tales and then the two things that wally brings to the table are getting like tied up in a cat suit (laughs) a being treated like a dog uh, for being a latin teacher second one yeah (laughs) yeah like two things that like you almost expect Andre to scoff at, but to the man's credit, he sits back and he listens to his friend talk about his his because life. Because I his think troubles. Wally is finally <laughs> reacting to um, Andre instead of just kind of um, passively listening. Because I mean, again, to get back to this whole idea about performance and life, like um, you know, actors react. You know, that's what they're supposed to to do. They're not supposed to like listen and wait for their line. They're supposed to react to the other actor. And like, and that, so they're making that point about life. And then there's, you know, actors also often talk about play, like how the act of acting is like play, even like big, big time actors will like, like, we'll talk about, let's play together. Um, and, and, and he talks right. and, and Andre talks about that as well. Like, like the, the, the need for like play in your life and that kind of stuff. So that, again, like, I, I think that there's so much, um, happening here about how the 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 role of acting can um inform life i guess or the theater can inform life yeah there's yeah. a lot of like uh all the world's a stage yeah. type stuff going on that's a little surface level and even with andre like he becomes this kind of contradictory figure he's he's dogging on these 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 figures especially the one who he says talks about his mother nonstop. he talks about his mother like 10 <laughs> times throughout the yeah. course of the conversation but that's like when he's talking uh, about how he's sitting in the theater thinking that these people are creeps for putting it on but he himself is also a creep for part you know for for witnessing it yeah yeah they have this thing strange. about the theater and they get annoyed by how some of the current plays of that era are lesser than or it's like oh i can't believe this is what people are passing as acceptable theater now it's so below us i bet what they would think of broadway and theater 40 years later now when it's just all disnified yeah uh, very much commercial art no, I, I, that's what i was thinking of when they were bitching about that in that moment i'm like oh you guys would be fury i mean maybe there's something about it online that i can go find that because they, well, they're alive they may have I'm- already discussed it I don't know that Wallace Shawn would have a lot of room to talk. He's voiced a you know a cartoon dinosaur in several several movies for Pixar, <laughs> um, which I got nothing against. I'm not mad about it. Well, he's fine. He just wants his coffee cake. As long as there's no roach or fly in his coffee that's cold in the morning. Shit, that's a good day, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, I like that he's that he again like his engagement with this conversation is is to like defend western civilization rightly or wrongly and it's to defend the comforts of life and to and to be like like as he explains the beginning his life is really hard you know he's got to wake up at 9 a.m and be to the uh the post office by 5 p.m and that's hard he's got a really rough (laughs) life yeah 
It also sounds really hard that he has to like uh, clamor around waiting for phone calls, and then he's like, "Meanwhile, my wife three has night, to work like every nights, single night as a waitress." <laughs> yeah, three additional <laughs> nights. He's on his yeah. own. He, there's like this self-deprecation that that's taking place with both of these actors about their own very true lives. I mean, you know, Andre Gregory did all this shit. He, I mean, I don't know about the hallucinations and if Rock met Pan and all that shit, but he literally went to Finhorn. He literally went to <laughs> India. He did all this traveling. My whole life, I thought this was all manufactured for the pl- for the movie, but like this was his real life. He really did this stuff. Wait, you're saying Andre did that? Yeah. Okay. Well. Oh, see, this is what I hate about when you read IMDb trivia, because it's like, is this true? Because according to contrary belief, Gregory and Sean have said they are not playing themselves in the film and are well, merely not. playing characters. Well, that, And that's the thing. Like, they, they are playing versions of themselves. I was reading an interview with Andre. He's talking about he plays like four versions of himself in the movie. So he is talking about his real life. And like, they are playing themselves. But in as much as like Kevin Smith will play himself in some of his, you know what I mean? Like they like they play themselves. Yeah. Or Larry David. Right. It's, it's like a heightened version. John Favreau in Sopranos, version. right? He just like lets himself look like a complete asshole on that show. <laughs> even though it's like the only probably a little bit of him is an asshole. He yeah. seems like a nice guy to me. Yeah, that's I, what I, he wants you to believe. I'm watching <laughs> this and dude, how, how uh, cool was it to see like fucking New York yeah. in 1981. This is like yeah. Joker, New York, with like that the, subway the, car, it, dude, was insane. It, it's like that subway car was fucking insane, and no one says anything about it. It's just <laughs> that was that's late, literally how it looked. Late seventies, early eighties. Like, it's fucked up. Yeah, and 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 the it the, the, it's remarkable that this is a 42 year old movie because you, you could watch this, and aside from that, and that kind of um. His, historical like reference point with New York, like uh, this conversation oh, yeah. could take place today. Uh, aside from the art, like it, it's interesting to me to be in these movies and Woody Allen does this a lot in his movies where you've got these intellectual types in New York talking about books and plays. And at the time there was a lot to talk about, like a movie like this comes out today. Like what are we referencing here? Like, can you name a play like aside from like, I don't know, Angels in America yeah. or maybe Doubt. Yeah, these are both like 25 years old. Like, what is the conversation these days for a book? Name a book. Name any book in the past 10 years. Name any book. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating. But I'm talking about like, like they talk a lot about Bertolt Brecht in, in, in Bergman and these, these just giants mm-hmm. of art in a world that's not yet polluted by a complete Well, they were revered more because they had – they did have less options and they were also put on a pedestal in a higher degree because of the certain pillars of entertainment and uh, informative offerings, if you will. Right. You're right. You yeah. called it. Yeah. The chaos of nonsense. Yeah. Now it's just it's flooded. Let I me mean, look at us. We're doing a show like most people don't give a shit about. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. What no, we're doing right. right now says it all. <laughs> Right. I mean, I mean, what what the fuck do we know about Broadway these days, or or like the 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 screen or the the playwriting community? I I imagine it's very insular, and there's probably big stars in that world and big plays in that world that we don't know shit about because we're in our suburban lives on screens. Yeah, but I think Eric's point. <laughs> I, I'm with him on it a bit too because we're also not morons. We we pay attention to stuff like that. Maybe not as much as we used to. Or I'll speak for myself. I say that uh, 
I've always, when I was in high school, I liked to be in the theater. I was, I was in drama. It was fun. And I, I thought it was cool. And I thought I knew a thing or two about what was going on in that world. And as I got older, clearly I know much, much, much less, but just going to Broadway and being in New York City two weekends ago, I looked at the options. I was like, oh, cool, look at this. And it's all stuff that's just being redone again and again. You know, yeah. oh, Sweeney Todd again. And like, and mm-hmm. the Wicked, a Disney thing. It's just like all this shit that it's hard to see the, as these two guys are trying to discuss this really meaningful, deep intellectual value of today. And maybe that gets uh, increased with 30 years of historic rearview mirror review but i'm kind of with eric there although we're not the experts i admit that misophonia alert at uh 48 minutes when wallace sean is chewing on that potato soup (laughs) i was waiting to hear somebody talk about this because i didn't think the food eating really slowed them down they did a really good job of like chopping and not chewing much and just swallowing and moving on how about that waiter with the with the blinking like uh, the potato soup? <laughs> yeah, uh, is, was he autistic? Probably getting mad that they just look. Like, it was so bizarre. Like they never say they they just look at him every time he comes over. They don't thank him. They don't say anything to him. This servitude, especially, and it's a little bit mm-hmm. telling from Andre because he spends his conversation the talking that he compares about the, uh, the slavery. Fascistic yeah. nature of himself and uh, and the cajoling of lesser right. than he workforce and and he d- dismisses the waiter completely. It's and it's again, I, I don't feel like that's an accident. You know what I mean? I, I don't like they go out of their way no, for him no, no. to have this big diatribe about how he should treat everyone like equals and all that. And you're right. They're, every time they just kind of stare at each other. And I love the way that the waiter like looks at Wally when uh, when Andre's pay and you, and you could like kind of see that moment of judgment at the very, very end. Like they, they didn't have to put that in there, but I love it that they did. Yeah, the, I hmm. look the whole section where Andre talks about how we've built our own prisons without even realizing it. And that's the ultimate goal of the, the global totalitarian regime that exists. This was 40 years ago. So when we were born, this is basically a movie that came out at our birth here because we were born in 80. The first year of our lives, the first full year of our lives. Exactly. And in 40 years, whoo, man, we've gotten more fascistic. (laughs) It seems to ring a whole lot more true to me. That was the one part I wanted to hear more about that because I was like, oh yeah, wow, you guys are truth tellers right here. And I'm really fascinated, again, like to get to these like I mean, almost every three or four minutes, there's a reference to Auschwitz or the death camps or the Gestapo or like something like that. And, you know, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory and Louis Maul all have very complicated relationships, I think, with Judaism because they're all Jewish guys, but none of them are like practicing Jewish guys. You know, mm-hmm. Andre Gregory's father got out of Russia during the Nazi uh, like invasion by being a sympathizer, he thinks. Uh, Wallace Shawn is an atheist yeah. Jewish person. Louis Maul, you know, that whole movie that, that I keep referencing, Au Revoir, Las Enfants, like the whole movie is about how he w- like, it was distantly related to, you know, and like has a great, a great grandmother who's Jewish and escaped the, the Holocaust while people around him who were, who like were overtly or like known to be Jewish uh, did not. So they have like, the, the, all three of them have these, uh, these strong feelings about it and you can really feel it in the movie i mean it's it's like world war ii is like this specter that kind of like haunts the whole movie yeah oh yeah and you know louis Maul. i watched 
is schoolmates right. get dragged out of class right. and sent to death camps. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pervasive uh, throughout the film, and it makes for a troubling conversation with somebody of this stature that's clearly extremely wealthy like Andre is. I think he can afford to be mm -hmm. this apathetic about the world and say, oh, nothing is real. Like, so fuck everything. Like, people that aren't struggling to make ends meet like Wallace, Sean, they they cannot talk like that. And he, I love how he won't kind of allow him to have that much yeah. conviction. Andre Gregory challenges like him. That. You're right. Andre Gregory is the 10-year-old in the taxi. He, he still yeah. gets to live that life and be concerned about art and theater and all that stuff and not worry about, you know, is my coffee going to be contaminated in the morning uh, because he's able to just live that big life. I wish that they had talked about in this movie. I regret I have or I regret I think the movie should have is that they didn't dive more into the dynamic of the intellectual and academic worlds and the elite opportunities that are offered quite often through those worlds for many people who get to traverse in uh, universities for PhD and beyond, you know, PhDs and beyond who get to be professors and write books and they, yeah. you know, you publish to stay working and they get to go on adventures and they also get to connect with all. That's why Andre has all these names he can mention because through right. his lifestyle, he knows these uh, finest of fine people when it comes to mathematicians and other areas yeah. of ac academic intellectualism that polish direct or that polish theater director grotowski that he references his his wife that was a documentary maker uh filmmaker that had made three movies about that dude so he definitely knew it <laughs> <laughs> oh there you go that's what i'm talking about and but my point being is that even maybe it's more today maybe it was always the same maybe it's just more obvious today but Today, there is a lot of uh, negativity, I feel like. Uh, a lot of um, yes man, yes people just following along in the university systems in the, in the academia world where there's less uh, discussion going on and more well, less uh, discourse going on. And I would wonder what they would think of that. I think that they, they addressed that because um, Andre talks about the institutionalization of these like these points of that are supposed to be you know, the protectors of the light as the dark age creeps up among us. And I and I oh. think he's talking not just about places like Findhorn, but intellectual, you know, enclaves where art and education are valued. And now those are places where, you know, billions are spent on uh, domes to host football games. <laughs> and they also, the thing I other, the other point I wanted to make about that is that these people are living a life of luxury that they don't often realize too. And, and it's not mm -hmm. that they're bad people either. Like they can empathize even with uh, the, like they talk about like, they talk about it. yeah, they talk about that directly. But in the end, there's a hypocrisy and a sense of, even for Andre, who is a shining example we're offered in this movie, the hypocrisy of his ability to understand and try to get as close as he can to the greatest pains and emotive experiences with the throwing the teddy bear and milking the titty and passing it back and <laughs> forth, whatever it was, he tried so hard, but yet these people are still disconnected from that day-to-day -day grind that Wallace is going through, that Wally is going through, that he doesn't have the luxury to think about all this other bullshit because of what we heard in the narrative before they sit down for dinner. It, it, it's why in a lot of ways these I don't have a, 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 a problem with rich people yeah. per se. It's just that I, I, t I tend to think that a lot of people think that you 
can pay for this self-flagellation business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like climbing Mount Everest is a type of self-flagellation. It's a, it's an admission of guilt for opulence. And, and you don't need credentials to be an intellectual. I think that's an interesting part of this movie, uh, especially when Wallace Shawn says that he would kind of avoid telling people what he does because once you reveal that part of yourself, in an income-based capacity, mm-hmm. you're looked down upon. Uh, but but before that fact, you are an equal. That's why I talk about having so many of these conversations with people throughout my lifetime, especially in my 20s and 30s, where I absolutely, under any no circumstances, would ever tell strangers or people that I just met what I did, because I worked in car factories. And yet I was reasonably intelligent and could hold conversations. And when I would let that slip, I could see it on their faces. Oh, I'm just talking to someone who read something yesterday or, or just eyeglass factories. Movie. Yeah, uh, that's where I worked for a long DOC, time. DOC, yeah. Cobus. <laughs> I, I put in my time in factory work, but yeah, I think that you know that's that's a big part of of what's going on here. Is you know, Wally talks about how he can compartmentalize and think of himself as a good person because he doesn't think about the people starving on the other side of the world. And to a lesser degree, you know, and, and then the, the higher up you are in the, um, the hierarchy of wealth, the, 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 the closer the people are that you're not thinking about. That's a great point. I did want to bring up as well, the discussion they have about, presenting art you know plays and movies whatever the reality like oh i love movies that are about real life versus as andre described like you know theater should be like my christening where there was hundreds of flowers and it was beautiful and it was opulent and it it was a big event it was uh it was more theater than the theater is now you know i we live in a world where you know, there's a lot of stuff more than ever. Biopics like win Academy Awards for people because it represents real life and it seems to be easier just to go that route. And I thought that conversation would have been a lot more interesting, too. I wanted to hear more about that. There's a lot of tidbits where I wanted to hear more. And it's, you know, there's only so much time to talk. I get it. They want to keep it to like a reasonable length. But that's something today that, right? I mean, we still live in that world where fantasy and getaway and what Marvel does with their movies is also awesome. But yet, you know, capitalism's behind it as well. So it's like this dichotomy of difficulty where it's really, it's really fun. But it's also like, "Eh, is this good? You know, and that... Because that discussion continues today. Well, I think that, you know, that's one of the great things about this movie is that there's so many threads that get laid down that never really get that, you know, we can pick up and talk about if we want to, but maybe they don't get get into it as much as they'd like. And one of those threads, you know, it's again, that subtext is all there about the class division between Andre and Wally. But, you know, I don't get the sense that either one of these guys are Mm -hmm. writing plays that end up on Broadway. This is like off, off, off Broadway. You know, I mean, like this is not really. well, especially Wall, yeah, especially Wallace Shawn. I mean, well, like- certainly Wallace, yes. But I thought Andre, you know, seemed like a guy who kind of made it, and he's wealthy. He seems like he was yeah, doing legitimate yeah. work. But yeah, you're right. I mean, him at least, maybe he was. Do- but even still, like a, a very different Broadway from today. Yes. <sighs> um, I love the part when uh, Andre starts. One of the more interesting parts of the conversation for me is when they talk about the uh, the upheaval of habitual lifestyle and how you're not really living unless you are on the brink of uh, haywire. And I, and I think that's true for both Wallace Shawn and Andrew Gregory here's lifestyles. I think they both agree that kind of an upturning or upsetting of your daily lifestyle is a good thing. 
Uh, I think that's a positive message. One of the few that I yeah, guess if you're just living mechanically, <laughs> then you have to change your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when I look back at my college career, I have no memories except the ones where I was sweating profusely outside my classroom, especially my acting classroom, nervous as fuck. And I felt I, I, you, it's a cliche, but man, like you feel every single emotion in your but body. You really could feel you feel alive. that way all the time? If it takes uh, two hours to eat your lunch, to eat your lunch, you know, like the Buddhists, this, do you want to live that way? Taste every bite. I think I'd rather have a, a elevated heart in a good way other than sedation because we live in a world right now where we can be stoned all day and it's not That's the thing about the blanket the the uh, sedation but like what, what yeah, the blanket and the comfort is it's great right and I'm cold but if you don't understand Andre says cold. Yeah Andre talks about that link of what being cold means more than just being cold that you can empathize with others who are cold and then right. you have a, a greater sense of community with others and there well, is a purpose for that And there's something to be said about like and I've thought this for many years too how strange it is that we just don't really have to worry about the seasons most of the time you know we live in Michigan and or or you know two of the three of us or actually I guess I'm the only Michigander anymore but oh, I'm still a Michigander rate, uh, especially yeah, recently true. so yes this is true at any rate like people around here complain about the snow but that's like one of the few times you have to deal with the weather most of the time it's like you're just going from your car to your work <laughs> yeah I, but eric's point about the sedation and the and you brought up the food point where yeah the buddhist tasted every bite two hours for lunch that's a long time for some people who have to work for a living but <laughs> sounds exasperating but there it really you just reminded me that it really did hit me hard i did start thinking there while they were babbling like jesus like I just inhale my food and like I'm so sedated and the habits of my life are awful. I hate it. I do it. This wave of melancholy and frustration came over me. Like, wow, I, I'm not living at all. I, I love my wife, but like, like what, what can we do more to get out of these creature comforts within? They're not good for us. It's, it's a life that you could live and, and you might not get too upset about it until you actually start to really think about it. And then it's once you do that, that's why, you know, hallucinogens offer that they give you a reality check from the habitual life you're living. It's like, oh, shit. Whoa. I might be a little too up my own ass with my own routines, and it's not good for me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think one of the uh, another one of the great themes of the film is labor. I mean, these guys talk mostly about uh, uh what work does mm. to you, especially Wallace Shawn, uh, and into into be enraptured by work. I love that opening when he talks about when I was a kid. I was so concerned with art and literature and beauty and poetry. And now all I was thinking stops. about is fucking just money, stops. and that's so true. And I think a lot of the time that's why I think we deserve those those comforts that he talks about towards the end. That's why I'm cheering at the screen towards the end because. Dude, he's right. We 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 earn the right to be uh, yeah. bored in a lot of ways. It's, it's a it's savage a kind of a rip of capitalism in, without I even mean, saying like, a word about it. it. Is but at the same time, like this is an ennui that you can yeah. only ex like. It's a it's the privilege the privilege of getting to experience this because most people in the world and throughout history do not mm -hmm. get to some level of wealth where they can have an electric blanket where they can sit around and and worry about art <laughs> and and you know 
performances and all that kind of stuff. So like that, th this is like one of the ultimate like you know life is so fucked kind of things because on one hand like you're struggling to get comfortable and get to this state of like wealth and stability, but then once you get there, you're fucking bored. Also, the look on Wallace's face in that subway, yeah, Eric, too, when he's talking about that, it's so good. I want to repeat it. I want it on a shirt. His yeah. hair is blown back. He's bald. He's like, uh, he's all <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> one, one of my favorite things that I've, I've learned in my lifetime that I always have carried with me is, is the uh, idea that there wasn't even really a word for boredom until Dickens coined it for Bleak House. in when he wrote that book in like the 1870s, there was just not really a general term for that feeling of uh, like tired malaise. It's because yeah. people fucking well, work that. their asses off. So again, that it's, it's all about like the, the, Most the comforts and the fruits of our labor. And Andre Gregory doesn't talk about um, trials uh, in his lifetime. He, he talks mostly about desserts and, and um, yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 the trials of his life are himself are the ones that he creates for himself in, in a in a in a that that search for for meaning or for art or for whatever. And yeah. that lack of uh, word Purpose. boredom came about because of the world we live in now, you know, with the you know, it's still 100 years ago. There was children who worked their asses off in this country. So, you know, once after World War II and the teenage life, teenage life was still a new thing for us. It still is. It's less Don't than worry. 100 years State old, by so. state legislation is allowing all kinds of, ch of children to work again. So, hey, all right. Way to go, Progress. America. Progress. Ah, fantastic. Why <laughs> change moving. So, uh, yeah. did you guys notice that this is a fucking trauma production? Lloyd Coffin yeah, was the production trauma. manager for this thing. I'd never noticed that before. My mind was blown. Yeah. I, don't even... <laughs> I don't know what this means. I don't know anything that's happening right now. Um, Toxic Avenger, uh, Sergeant Kabuki oh, Man. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. Romeo and Juliet, all those movies. <laughs> No yeah. kidding. Yeah, he was he was behind this, or one of the people behind this, which was amazing. Uh, and then also that that song at the end, that Eric Satie's Gymnopedia uh, uh, number one. One of my favorite songs, yeah. yes. Mine too. But I remember like so many years of my life, like I'm talking decades until I probably saw this movie for the first time. I, I like would kind of have this weird shame about the toy and how it had such a great uh, score, but it turns out it's it's Eric Satie. Because uh, yeah. the toy came out you know, with, with uh, Pryor came out in '82, and so you just fucking know that that someone in, behind that movie saw my dinner with Andre and went, "Oh, well, this is really good free music. We should put this in the toy." <laughs> I'll help you out there too, because there's a Blood, Sweat, and Tears <laughs> album that has a track that is. Basically, Eric Satie's Gymnopedia, number oh, three. And number I didn't three. know that. I listened to it for years. I'm like, oh, I love this Blood, Sweat, and Tears song. And I learned like eight, <laughs> nine years ago that, oh, there's more going on here. I'm oh, a moron. So so, yeah, well, yeah. you know, we're un we're uncultured, I guess. Not like Eric o or Eric Andre. <laughs> I Eric Andre? I, I would not mind. see my dinner with <laughs> Eric Andre. Yes. Wallace Shawn and Eric Andre would be We can make that happen. They're both still alive. Let's do this right now. Somebody crowdsource it immediately. I would kill for that. My dinner with Eric Andre and like recreate the set. <laughs> yes. That would be fucking great. <laughs> I don't know where some asshole just comes in on a dirt bike. You know, just stupidest shit ever. So. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, so are there any other points we need well, to make before we uh, get into our final thoughts? I thought we did a pretty decent job, I would say. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
the uh, all right, I'll, I'll start. Yeah, I'm ready off here. So, at the beginning of the movie, um, Andre quotes um, Stanislavski, whatever his name is, that great famous theater actor guy who am i why am i here where do i come from and where am i going like the actor's questions which are you know the questions of life and i think that's why i've always loved this movie so much it's been a long time since i've seen it and i i felt like there was a possibility i was going to sit down and watch it and be like okay this is a boring conversation um the main change i have now is that i don't regard andre as um loftily as i did before i see him more clearly now as being a kind of fucked up and self-indulgent dude and um and i'm that's one of the things i love Mm. about revisiting movies from you know that were important to me 20 years ago is i can see i can mark that growth in myself uh bizarre to think that i'm older than wallace sean here um but that's okay because i'm not as old as eric uh, Eric andre i'm gonna do that for the rest of the show apparently uh as andre gregory is uh yeah man i i i'm glad i chose this it's uh i think it's a really beautiful movie every there's a reason why i had it on repeat uh when i would sleep because it gives me this weirdly comforting feeling you know that that ending with that song and that voiceover talking about my dinner with andre there's something so comforting about Mm -hmm. this movie and it, it is that unresolvedness of life that that um quest in life but it ultimately i think there is a resolution to this movie which is that um wally does learn that he's happy to interact with this old friend of his and uh, i think that that's one of the main things is that the importance of connection and the importance the importance of old friendships the importance of uh just reacting to the people in your life as opposed to just operating on uh on you know like a like a machine so yeah, this movie absolutely holds up for me. I was really happy to revisit it. Uh, it's still a very cerebral film, but I understand it better now, and I think I get the jokes better now, and I don't um, put it on quite the pedestal that I did before. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, I was excited to to revisit it. A little scared, a little apprehensive, especially when it first kind of started up and. God, it's amazing how stuff kind of catches up to you. And I think it's really healthy to kind of um, sometimes say, you know, I was wrong uh, when, when you need to. And a couple of points on on uh, in this film, I think I, I, I was really taken aback by the, the heatiness of the film um, originally, whereas now I can see myself at this same table able to participate in the conversation whereas when i was 22 years old i was it was was all so above me that there's no way i could get a word in but it makes me excited to uh to to pick that hookah back up and and have these conversations and not be afraid to be myself uh which i spent a lot of years doing um in that respect and and i I think this is a fantastic movie uh andrew Andre Gregory said their intent mainly was to get people talking. Uh, And and that's exactly what the film does. Uh, Even if you don't like it, there's so much to unpack and discuss. Uh, It invites you to do so. It pulls up that third chair and you as the viewer in a way that you don't see in a lot of movies are invited to participate. Uh, It's really unique in that respect. Uh, There's this beautiful scene at the end when he's, driving in the taxi and looking at all these buildings and there's this mournful narrative about 
the interrelation of everything. He blamed a lot of this, these bonkers stories on coincidence. And part of me thinks that he's realizing that at the end of the day, this is the same little blue ball that we're floating on. And we, we all have a part to play in each other's life. And it is kind of one big stage. Uh, but we have to be honest with ourselves on that stage. Uh, it, it's a beautiful film, in my opinion. I, I like to uh, encourage more people to see it. Holds yeah, up. you could say that this movie holds up because you want to watch it with someone else and talk about it with them. You know, I, I was like, oh, I want to watch this with Leanne and like, let's, I want to talk about some things and some few things. I don't even think I know the answers to her responses based on what they're talking about in the movie. So if a movie could do that right there, that gives you a motive, not just to watch it, but to share it with others. And, you know, movies are all, that's what they're about. I mean, yes, movies could be. Exactly as Travis said, you know, he puts it on, he's alone in his bed. It's a comfort for him. That makes all the sense in the world to me. So it can be that. But I think a movie for me, if I want to say it holds up, it's either because I have some gross attachment to it or because I want to share with others. And mm. in this case, I guess it's that. I want to share this movie with others because I want to talk about the issues at hand within the film. So that's why this movie holds up. It's a lot of fun. Three holds up. And I don't know about you guys, but next time I go out and have a big meal, I really want to end it with an espresso and an amaretto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, not the sense Your time, how long it took to get that amaretto? Oh, I did 22 God, minutes. You know, the was right behind the man. <laughs> I was just thinking how much that meal would cost in Las Vegas. That's what I was thinking about. So. Well, it's because you were in Vegas. Uh, yeah, it's very expensive. All right, there it is. We did my dinner with Andre. Thank you for choosing that. That was a fine choice. And now we can never do that movie again. It's over. That's it. For this yeah. show, we're One moving on from that. Uh, One by the way, hmm. we, I don't know if you mentioned last week. So you got your new show, Travis. Have you told people about your new show? I ha I've not told people about my new show. Um, well, I come have on. A, I have a new podcast. Uh, the, I'm recording and editing so i've only got one episode posted so far but you can check it out you have to look for well i've got two you don't have the, the next episode well actually by the time this airs the second episode will be up so the the uh the podcast is called 9394 a music podcast with travis roy i am having different guests on where we discuss uh albums that came out in either the year 1993 or 1994 our first episode we had our friend or my first episode, I had my friend uh, Chris Deary, who from the Palazzo podcast, come on to talk about pavements, crooked rain, crooked rain. And the episode airing tomorrow is uh, a friend of the show, Chud Pud, Aaron Worley, coming on to or front of this show, coming on to talk about Siamese Dream, the Smashing Pumpkins album. And uh, I, I see what I did now. Yeah. So, I, I'm, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to get them all loaded up and kind of uh, get them all in there. But uh, so, yeah, please check it out. It's kind of hard to find, I think, because uh, I've named it something obscure. But 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. Check it out. Is that your uh, cassette? Those are yeah. Those that, are those are my actual cassettes. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's a it's a great shot. Yeah, I, I thought that's what it was. I know that that black uh, cassette holder. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. Ninety three, ninety four. That's a great year for music, and there's going to be a lot of conversations about some quality pieces of material. Check it out. Ninety three, ninety four, and then next week we're going to choose a movie. And Eric Branstrom, you are in control of the board at this time. 
Uh, it's time to look back at a film that it's um, been on my list for a long time. Uh, <laughs> fans have been asking about it, right. and uh, I'm going to give them what they want. Uh, it's a movie that is absolutely going to give us a lot to talk about. Now, it it isn't The Stand, but Travis, I remember during the pandemic, you were talking about how you were a bit fearful of talking about The Stand because of the state of the world and well, I rewatched you know what kind of things that would bring watched, up in, in terms of like, I, conversation. Both. Then you ended up <laughs> the, the new it. one yeah. for Paramount and the original. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember uh, when you were talking about that, um, I, I reminded myself definitely bring this on the show, a movie I would watch every single day when it came out, but it's been a hell of a long time. We're going to have so much to talk about uh, when it comes to, um, you know, factions that are set up in a, in this type of world where, uh, um, you know, disease is brought on the country and, there's going to be some finger pointing. Uh, I'm excited. It is a film by Terry Gilliam. It is time for all right. Uh, Twelve Monkeys. Second Gilliam feature. Third. Second? Yeah, second. Okay. We did, we did time time yeah, bandits yeah. and this. Okay. Yeah. Well, time yeah. bandits. Right. Oh, I feel like there's. A, uh, anyways, yes, this is a great call. This is one that has has always been destined, uh, pun not intended, to show up on this show. Destined, Destined, Destined because it's a you know there's there's a lot of destiny in the movie because it's time travel. Destin, Florida, beautiful Destin, place. Check it out. Um, no, it's not. Oh, <laughs> what do you know? Come on, man. I lived in give Florida for years. What do you mean? What do I know? Yeah, the Panhandle's a gorgeous area, and you got to give it its just due. Okay. I've been to the Panhandle. I've been to Destin. Beautiful place. I love it. Okay. I love it. I know. A friend you, of the show, Judbud, love loves it. Judbud loves it. You guys can uh, have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 12 Monkeys does not excite me at all, but maybe I'll change my mind once I watch it. Um, Could you yeah, be I, more honest? That's my abs. Do you want me to go with the no, horror movie? I mean, I, I, I'm gonna, bad, whatever you pick, I'm going to watch. You know, right. every movie's a surprise. You never know what you're going to get. So that's going to be fun. Let's do 12 Monkeys next week. And that'll leave it for what it is now. Send an iPod at gmail.com. We appreciate it. Everybody who's been downloading the show and listening and all that stuff, you guys have been doing a great job, so let's keep it rolling. All right? Okay. Do, do a Wallace Shawn impersonation. <laughs> I, can't, I got nothing. I was in Jaws.